The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. You have indicated that uh, having talks that are kind of a series uh, are really helpful for you. So as a group of teachers to, to do that, to kind of put some of the uh, con- um, topics that are uh, connected to each other in, in a bit of a series for you. And um, so we're starting a seven-week series now that will be taught by, um, I think, five different teachers um, uh, over, the next, over the course of the next seven weeks on the uh, five... Uh, guidelines for ethical or moral behavior that the Buddha taught uh, called the five precepts. And um, so each night there will be, um, well tonight I'll offer an overview of the precepts and then each night there will be one of the precepts that somebody will go into in depth a little bit. And then at the end there will be a uh, kind of a summary and also a chance to ask questions and explore a little bit further that way. So, um, as overview, um, all Buddhists um, live by five moral or ethical guidelines uh, for action, for behavior. Uh, refraining from harming or killing living things. Refraining from taking what is not freely given, so stealing of some sort or another. Refraining from sexual misconduct. Refraining from lying or gossip or harsh speech. And refraining from taking intoxicating substances that dull the mind. A lot of times in our uh, teachings in the in the West, in particular, um, we we kind of skip over the precepts. We go straight to meditation, and uh, so uh, we want to back up a little bit and talk about some of the guidelines for action and behavior. Um, that really are the bedrock of our practice. This isn't part of the, um, I do that without getting that little bump in there. This isn't part of the precepts per se, but there's a passage at the beginning of the Metta Sutta that says, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. And a lot of times people get, is there, can we do anything about that? No? Is that me? Now I need to pull it away farther. That look better. How's that? Uh, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. And a lot of times people uh, stumble over that word "should." And even, you know, when I first encountered the precepts, it, it can kind of seem like when we were in grade school, when I was in grade school and, you know, taught the Ten Commandments and all the things you have to do if you're going to be 
behave or not be punished um, uh, or uh, Miss Manners rules for excruciatingly, what is it, excruciatingly excellent behavior or something like that. You know, that there's sort of these like kind of rules that have to do with um, being rigid or tight or um, not being punished. Um, and that isn't the meaning of, the, uh, of that should. So it, tonight I wanted to explore the kind of overview of the precepts and kind of to try to get a sense of what they're there for and what the point is, uh, uh, what the point of that should is. Um, another um, definition that I found of the precepts, this was in Wikipedia, it said that the precepts are general rules intended to regulate behavior or thought. That one seems even worse, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, this sort of like regulator on your car, you know, that's going to constrain how you, you know, any kind of freedom or fluidity or creativity of movement. And so if we think of the precepts in that way, it can lead to a lot of tension. Uh, and it can lead to a lot of reactivity. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Uh, I'm going to do it my own way. Um, or maybe some shame at not being good enough. You know, the shame at not being able to follow the precepts in quite exactly a, a way that Miss Manners would approve of. In the Meta Sutta, the whole line is, this is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. I've also seen it translated in a way that sort of sits with me a little bit better. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. So for one who knows the path of peace, there are certain guidelines to follow. It's sort of like, you know, if you want to go to Toledo, you know, there are certain ways there are certain things to do that will get you there and certain things that, that if, you, if you do them, you can, you can of course do them, but they're not going to get you where you want to go. So the precepts are intended to be guides to help us get where we want to go. The Buddha doesn't say that we have to want peace or happiness or freedom from suffering. You don't have to want it. Just that if we do want it, this is the path. This is, these practices are important practices on the path. Just like if you want to go to Toledo, it helps if you have gas in the car. You know. So this is what is done, says the Metta Sutta, which again isn't about the precepts per se, but I like the, the frame of it. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Another important point about the precepts is that there are many, 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 many ways that they can be interpreted and indeed questioned. And the invitation of this following this path 
isn't about, you know, putting it up on your refrigerator and, you know, punishing yourself or judging yourself if you don't quite do it right. Um, but really more about inquiring into what on earth really practically does this mean? I had a little stink bug living on my paper towels the other day. What does this mean? What does the precept about refraining from killing, what does it mean? You know, so it can come up in just these simple, small moments of everyday life where we're asked to uh, let the precepts guide us but really deeply inquire. Even, I mean, you know, someone will speak directly about the precept about refraining from killing, but we could even notice that um, in many ways um, some, the precepts are impossible to follow. You know, my house was infested with termites some years ago. You know, or fleas on my kitty. What, you know, what does the precept mean? How do we follow this precept? Harsh speech, wise speech. What really is wise speech? What is harsh speech if someone's being abusive? So, you know, the, inc- the invitation is to really investigate uh, very personally and very intimately how these precepts come alive in our lives. The invitation is also to, to experiment, do trial and error. So it isn't like, you know, somehow, you know, there's this precept that gets posted and you're supposed to just do it and follow it. And um, then uh, it's just, you know, sort of like, you know, yes or no, off or on. But to really explore and experiment, how does this really work? Does it, in fact, if I do it this way, does it lead to freedom and peace and happiness? The end of suffering or not? The investigation is driven by certain principles, how we apply these precepts, certain principles. Um, Each person, as, as we go through these weeks, each teacher will kind of review an overview of the precepts. And you're going to hear sort of just slightly different takes on these overviews each week, you know. And ideally, they're going to help you kind of get a a feel for how you want to explore the precepts. But the principles that that I'll talk to tonight, one is um, the Buddhist teaching, all beings desire happiness. My little stink bug, (laughs) desired happiness. So the precepts are built on that principle of really deeply respecting that all beings everywhere, all beings, all living beings everywhere desire happiness. And our commitment to support and nourish freedom from suffering everywhere. Again, we can begin to see, I I hope we begin to see a lot of questions pop up in our minds. 
How does this work? Good. Let there be questions in your mind. Um, a second principle, um, a dependent, the whole uh, teaching on dependent origination, that actually there is no real separation from one being to another. So how I behave totally influences world peace. We see that self-interest and others' interests are closely related. We can't kind of cut ourselves out of the pack and think that we can act in a way that is completely independent of all other beings. Um, there's just no such thing as a completely independent act. And that's really the heart of part of the Buddhist, of a, of a key part of the Buddhist teaching. That I can't, you know, violate one of the precepts imagining that it only affects me. I found a quote by Albert Einstein, of all people, um, that was to this end. Um, and he was writing a letter to console a man um, who had recently lost a son. And he said, Dear Mr. Marcus, a human being is a, this is Albert Einstein speaking, he says, a human being is a part of the whole called by us universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. The striving to free oneself from this delusion is the one issue of true religion. Not to nourish the delusion, but to try to overcome it is the way to reach the attainable measure of peace of mind. This is with my best wishes. So our practice invites us to live day to day, moment to moment in our behavior in accord with the way the universe actually works. Not how we think it works or how we've, you know, the kinds of things that we've constructed to believe how it works, but how it does actually works, work. Furthermore, this is a path of peace. I spoke to that a minute ago. It's a path. It's an inquiry. It's an exploration. If we're setting out to go to Toledo, we know that it, we have to kind of do this and then that and then we kind of pause and then we look and we see where we are and we look at the map or the GPS, my Alice, and we just ask Alice, where are we anyway? You know. And so it's a path. It's an ongoing inquiry that um, we can steadily deepen and deepen and deepen our, our understanding of really the whole of the practice. I was reading something by Tanisaro the other day, and he was saying that every bit of the Buddhist teaching is a hologram. You can take any one teaching, any one of the precepts, and if you take it as far as it can go and inquire into it more and more and more and more with more and more subtlety um, it will take us to total freedom 
any one teaching. So it's just like, you know, dropping into really deep, you know, really following this path as deeply and fully as we know. So even the inquiry about my little stink bug can be a total path to liberation as we inquire more and more deeply how does this work. Um, And a fourth principle um, is the principle of karma. That really what drives the ethical value of any action is the quality of heart and mind, the intention, if you will, that is behind the action. That's tricky because we can trick ourselves about intention. Uh, But what really is the key to the ethical quality of any action is the quality of heart and mind with which it is executed. Um, This is the Dalai Lama. He says, what determines the ethical value of a of an act, wait a minute. No, it's not the Dalai Lama, it's Sharon. <laughs> I'll read it anyway. <laughs> I didn't have quotes around it, I said, wait a minute, I don't think this is the Dalai Lama. What determines the ethical value of an act is the overall state of heart and mind which drives an action. The heart of the Buddha's teaching is that actions driven by greed, hatred, and delusion are by definition not wholesome because they are driven by misunderstandings. They're driven by a misunderstanding that only I desire and am worthy of happiness. Or that I can be separate from everybody else. Um, so, um, so they're driven by misunderstandings and they're driven by what are considered poisons in the mind, greed, hatred, and delusion, that obscure the natural bright radiance of love for all beings, non-separation. Carol King says, only love is real. Everything else is illusion. So non-ethical acts violate that. Violate that principle. This is James Baldwin on love. He says, love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. I use the word love here not merely in the personal sense, but as a state of being, a state of grace. Not in the infantile American sense of being made happy, but in the tough and universal sense of quest and daring and growth. So living in this uh, practice of this path of peace following these principles. Even if we're committed to this goal, however, we can get confused about the precepts and can have extremes. One is to refuse to really engage with them, to really, you know, to really investigate. 
you know, to really investigate when I bump into my little stink bug, you know, to kind of refuse to consider, refuse to contemplate, that we hang on in our own self-interest and are driven by self-interest. Again, I'm making no comment about what the outcome is. The question is, how do we arrive? Are we driven by greed or hatred or delusion? Are we holding animosity or indulgence and expecting to become wise, concentrated, discerning, and happy? Preferring our own suffering and our own separation. One of the teachers I was reading recently was talking about how we actually prefer often our own suffering. It's familiar. We want to hang on to it. Um, Stephen Colbert says, who am I if not not you? <laughs> you know? So this sense of identity that we have in separation that we can kind of set up and we can kind of refuse to engage with the precepts out of a sense of kind of insisting on being separate, being, you know, just me. I can kind of, I can operate as though um, there was this me that somehow is um, independent and whose happiness is more important than anyone else's. Um, you've heard me um, use the example of Tony Soprano, uh, you know, in the series that was some years ago. And it just used to really amuse me uh, the few episodes that I watched that he was going to a therapist trying to be happy when he was murdering and, and stealing and engaging in, you know, all kinds of illicit sexual activity and lying and, you know, violating every single precept, trying to be happy. And it's just like, this is what is done by those who know the path of peace. And I'm sorry, Tony, but that is not the way to Toledo, you know? You know, and so he's trying to kind of make it work. But we do that, don't we, in our own ways. We kind of try to make it work, um, maybe in less extreme ways, but we try to make it work um, by, uh, by kind of hanging on to our own greed or our own hatreds or our own delusion. And then the other extreme, so one is refusing to investigate or understand or let go, and then the other one is to kind of hold, hold the standard to such an extreme of, you know, it's like, okay, refrain from killing. And to make ourselves a little nuts because it's not possible, really. You know, I'm going to go out in my garden, you know, before too awfully long. And, you know, as soon as you're out in your garden, you know, you're going to disrupt some little ant's nest or, you know, kill some little bugs or... Uh, you know, or you'll be uh, at home this winter and have to take an antibiotic and kill some little bacteria. You know, so it's not possible. Or you'll walk down the street and step on an ant or a little bug by mistake. You know, so it's really not possible if we take these precepts in some kind of extremely rigid way. So the two extremes, one is of saying, you know, I, I can't be bothered, I'm more important. And the other is, you know, I have to like do this exactly in some way that is like constraining myself um, and others, perhaps um, mentally. 
So again, it's an investigation. Um, the invitation is to inquire, what does this mean? And how is it possible? And we'll inquire together over these next weeks. But the actual inquiry is a very personal one. How does this work? All of our practice and all of the teaching is aimed toward a very personal realization of the end of suffering. Another version of the precepts, I read you one that was um, refraining from harming or killing. Here's another one. It's a little softer. Um, I undertake the training rule to abstain from killing. I undertake the training rule to abstain from what is not given. I undertake the training rule to avoid sensual misconduct. I undertake the training rule to abstain from false and harmful speech. And I undertake the training rule to abstain from fermented drink that causes heedlessness. Tenicero describes the precepts as a part of a course of therapy for wounded minds. You know, it's a course of therapy, how to learn, how to heal our wounded minds, to see what is stress and suffering, what is the cause of stress and suffering, what is the ending of stress, and what is the path of peace. to hand out um, this. There, this is another version of the precepts. And you'll see that each version has a slightly different feel to it. Um, let me give you this one. Thank you. And you're welcome to uh, keep this and bring it back each week. You're welcome to not keep it and leave it on the table. You're welcome to use it in your computer as recycled paper, whatever you want. Oh, could I have one, please? Phil, could I have one? Thank you. So here's yet another, um, another translation and another version, if you will, of the precepts. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life. Sorry. Um, this is closer to a translation that um, Thich Nhat Hanh uses. Oh, this is his. Um, it's, it's actually a... It's actually a shortened version. I'm going to read you the longer version uh, of, that, of this one um, because this is a, a, trans, or a form that Thich Nhat Hanh teaches, but I'm going to read you the whole longer one. Aware of the suffering caused by the destruction of life, I vow to cultivate compassion and to learn the ways of protecting the lives of people, animals, and plants. I am determined not to kill, not to let others kill, and not to condone any act of killing in the world, in my thinking, 
and in my life, in my way of life. Second precept, aware of the suffering caused by exploitation, social injustice, stealing, and oppression, I vow to cultivate loving kindness and learn ways to work for the well-being of people, animals, and plants. I vow to practice generosity by sharing my time, energy, and material resources with those who are in real need. I am determined not to steal and not to possess anything that should belong to others. I will respect the property of others, but I will do everything in my power to prevent others from suffering, from human suffering of others, to prevent the human suffering of other species. Number three, aware of the suffering caused by sexual misconduct, I vow to cultivate my responsibility and learn ways to protect the safety and integrity of individuals, couples, families, and society. I am determined not to engage in sexual relations without love and long-term commitment. To preserve the happiness of myself and others, I am determined to respect my commitments and the commitments of others. I will do everything in my power to protect children from sexual abuse and to protect families from being broken by sexual misconduct. Number four, aware of suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to the suffering of others, I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or bring suffering, I vow to learn to speak truthfully with words that can inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I am determined not to spread news that I do not know to be certain and not to criticize or condemn things I am not sure of. I will refrain from uttering words that can cause division or discord or that can cause the family or the community to break. I will make every effort to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, even small. And number five is aware of the suffering caused by unmindful consumption. I vow to cultivate good health, both physical and mental, for myself, my family, and my society by practicing mindful eating, drinking, and consuming. I vow to ingest only items that preserve peace, well-being, and joy in my body, in my consciousness, and in the collective body and consciousness of my family and society. I am determined not to use alcohol or any other intoxicants or to ingest foods or other items that contain toxins, such as certain TV programs, magazines, books, films, and conversations. I am aware that to damage my body and my consciousness with these poisons is to betray my ancestors, my parents, my society, and future generations. I will work to transform violence, fear, anger, and confusion by practicing a diet for myself and for society. I understand that a proper diet is crucial for self-transformation and for the transformation of society. Um, again, these are, um, these are forms that Thich Nhat Hanh has put together. Um, we're working on um, setting up uh, uh, something on the internet that we can post some kind of takeaways from our talks. And if we can get that up in the 
foreseeable future, we'll, we'll put some of this up uh, while we're doing the precepts course. What I'd like to do, though, is pause there for just a minute and invite you to look internally and to see what kind of question is arising or questions are arising about your own personal practice of the precepts that you would hope to investigate over this next seven weeks. And if you'd like and you feel moved to and you want to talk with your next door neighbor about it for a minute, feel free to do that. If you don't want to, then just contemplate for a minute. What's a question, what's a curiosity that you have about implementing these precepts in your actual life? So I would invite you to carry that question, take it home with you, and to um, you know carry it through these seven weeks as we explore together. Here's the Buddha on the price, the five precepts as gifts toward oneself and others. He says, "Now there are five gifts, five great gifts, original, long-standing, traditional, ancient." unadulterated, unadulterated from the beginning, that are not open to suspicion, will never be open to suspicion, and are unfaulted by knowledgeable contemplatives and priests. Which five? And he says there is the case, the first one, where a disciple of the noble ones, abandoning the taking of life, abstains from taking life. In doing so, he gives freedom from danger, freedom from animosity, freedom from oppression to limitless numbers of beings. In giving freedom from danger, freedom from animosity, freedom from oppression to limitless numbers of beings, he gains a share in limitless freedom from danger, freedom from animosity, and freedom from oppression. This is the first gift, the first great gift original, long-standing, traditional, ancient, unadulterated from the beginning, that is not open to suspicion, will never be open to suspicion, and is unfaulted by knowledgeable contemplatives and priests. And in typical Buddhist fashion, he goes through that exact, the same sequence. He goes through every single precept and says, this is the gift. This is the gift of following this precept. So what it comes down to, really, is training the mind. training our hearts and minds to live in accord with how things actually are. 
And that if we want freedom and we want happiness, to align our own minds and hearts with the truth of how things are is what is wholesome. All of the Buddha's teachings on generosity, virtue, meditation, concentration, discernment, all of them are aimed at training the mind because the mind is what shapes our experience of pleasure and pain, happiness and suffering. A well-trained mind can deal with any situation in life and not have to suffer at all. I'm going to be doing a practice on Saturday of living peace. You know, how do we live in a way that is in peace and can deal with any situation without suffering? So in following the precepts, we're not saying no to life. Um, We're saying no to things that obscure and obstruct life in favor. It's sort of like a, a child, you know, when we were children and we wanted candy all the time. You know, saying no to something that will make us ill and yes to something that will give us health and wholesomeness and freedom. So our practice invites us to cultivate the capacity to be in charge of where we're going. The goal, again, the Buddha says, you know, we don't have to want happiness. But if we do, to be in charge of where we're going, happiness or freedom. And to be able to not go and live in places that will only lead to suffering. That will obscure that happiness and freedom. The Dalai Lama, this is the Dalai Lama this time. Um, he, he talks about living an ethical life. Um, and again, he, he's speaking of um, really at, taking it on as a, as a practice, as an investigation, um, as a kind of trial and error inquiry. He sa- and this is what he says. He says, this is no easy task. And you must understand that here, that there is no blessing or initiation which, if only we could receive it, or any mysterious or magical formula or mantra or ritual, if only we could discover it, that can can enable us to achieve transformation instantly. It comes little by little, just as a building is constructed brick by brick, or an ocean is formed drop by drop nor that what we are talking about here is the mere acquisition of knowledge. It is not even a question of developing the conviction that may come from such knowledge. What we are talking about is gaining an experience of virtue through constant practice and familiarization so that it becomes spontaneous. He says there are no shortcuts. So we'll inquire together over these next weeks and we'll invite you to inquire, you know, use it as a hologram, use it as an inquiry, you know, it's like, okay, if I just take a little stink bug practice, you know, how does, how does this work? How do these precepts actually work in my spiritual practice? 
So again, feel free to take that with you. Um, we'd invite you to bring it back. Some of the other teachers may use it. Um, and if you don't want to take it with you, just leave it on the, on the table. So uh, drive safely home. It might be a little icy. Uh, and the deer, I gather, are out feeding. So be safe and well.